If you have your Bibles and want to follow along in your version, that's fine. Um, ben, I'm actually in the ERV today. I didn't tell you that, so you may not have it ready. But um, Galatians chapter number 5, in verse number 16. Paul, writing to the church at Galatia, says, So I tell you, live the way the Spirit leads you. Then you will not do the evil things your sinful self wants. The sinful self wants what is against the Spirit. The Spirit wants what is against the sinful self. They are always fighting against each other, so that you don't do what you really want to. But if you let the Spirit lead you, you're not under the law. The wrong things the sinful self does are clear. Committing sexual sin, being morally bad, doing all kinds of shameful things, worshiping false gods, taking part in witchcraft, hating people, causing trouble, being jealous, angry, or selfish, causing people to argue and divide into separate groups. We've never seen any of that, have we? Being filled with envy, getting drunk, having wild parties, doing other things like this. I warn you now as I warned you before, the people who do these things will not have a part in God's kingdom. But the fruit that the Spirit produces in a person's life is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these kinds of things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified their sinful self. That's not a question. That's not a referendum. That's not a suggestion. That's a statement of fact that the Apostle Paul is making. Those who belong to Christ Jesus... Not those who say, oh, I believe Jesus exists. Not those who admit that Jesus is God. But those that belong to Christ Jesus. Have crucified their sinful self. They have given up their old selfish feelings and the evil things they wanted to do. We get our new life from the Spirit, so we should follow the Spirit. The idea here that the Apostle Paul is putting forth for us this morning is that as born-again disciples of Jesus Christ, that's a real important thing to understand. Born-again disciples of Jesus Christ. We have two separate and very distinct natures. Two driving forces. Both of them want to control us. If you tell me that you're born again by the Spirit of God and you never struggle with sin, I'll tell you, you have no idea what sin is. <laughs> You have a sinful nature that's still in your body. Scripture says they war against each other. 
They're constantly fighting for control. Both can be allowed to control you. As a follower of Christ, you can allow sin to control you. The choice is ours. It's hugely important for us to stop and think about that. I want you to understand, a person who is lost, who has not been born again by the power of the Spirit of God in their life, I want you to understand, they have no control over this situation. I just want to tell you right now, I want to go on record as saying, if you know somebody who is lost and you don't like the way they're living, guess what? They don't have a choice. It's not their option. They are going to sin. They're going to live in a selfish, sinful manner. Did you listen to that list of stuff? You you look around the world today. Do you look at the world and get frustrated? Do you look at our country and just say, where is it going? What is going on? Let me tell you where it's going. It's going to selfish, sinful behavior because people are selfish and sinful. They have no choice. They have no option. They cannot access the Spirit of God because they have no spiritual nature. It does not exist in them. Therefore, they're resigned to obey the old fallen nature of sin. But praise God, that is not so with you and I. You and I do not have to obey that nature. We have been freed from the old nature, freed from its bonds, freed from the slavery that held us. We're free to choose the, to follow godly behavior that is produced by the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's actually the greater conversation that's going on in the book of Galatians. They had chosen to go back to the bonds of obeying the law or trying to and hoping that it would give them spiritual access to spiritual things in Christ. Paul called it foolishness, folly. The second thing that Paul is putting forth for us today is that while it is our choice to obey the Spirit of God, it is the Spirit's work that produces the fruit. I think it's also hugely important. The working that you and I do, the love, the joy, the peace, patience, goodness, kindness, long-suffering, self-control, those things that I I left out, there's one or two that I missed in there. All those things that are being produced in your life, you're not doing those. i got news for you. You didn't get good suddenly. Neither did I. God's at work in you. And He's producing something in you. It's your choice to whether or not you're going to access it. And let it control your outward being. The works that you do. It's not something you can produce on your own. It's the working of Almighty God. But, 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 it has moved along at a much greater rate By those who have been born again that surrender 
to the Holy Spirit in their daily life. Now I'm preaching on joy today, and this is probably the hardest joy message you're ever going to hear. I'm just going to tell you the truth, it is. Because God has just been hammering me all week long about walking in the Spirit. Jesus said in John chapter 15, I am the true vine. We got, we got a, a real true vine up there. Fake leaves, but we got a real true vine. <laughs> Jesus said, I'm the true vine. My father is the gardener of the vineyard. He cuts off every branch of mine. I want you to hear what he said. He's not cutting off the branches that just, they're out there. These are mine. He cuts off every branch of mine that does not produce fruit. Why? Because you're supposed to produce fruit. There ought to be some love in your life. Not just love for your spouse or your kids or your job or your neighbors or yourself in the human form. But as Pastor Mark preached last week, a God-formed love that's birthed out of the Holy Spirit that loves people like God loves people. That means loving your wife like God loves your wife, not like you love your wife or your husband or your kids or your neighbor. He cuts off every branch of mine that does not produce fruit. He also trims every branch that produces fruit to prepare it to produce even more. So, okay, you're producing fruit. I am doing good. Clip, clip, clip. You ever seen a, you ever seen a, you ever watch these bushes right out front that when we trim them back, they look awful. I mean, they look terrible. Bunch of sticks stick, sitting up there. That's what we look like sometimes. Just look like a bunch of sticks because God's come along and he's, he's trimmed. But he did it for purpose. Jesus said he did it so we'd produce more fruit. I kind of think this producing fruit matters to God. According to this, Jesus is at work. The Holy Spirit is at work. The gardener, the heavenly father, is at work in your life as a born-again child of God on a regular daily basis, trimming back. And when he comes by that vine that won't produce fruit, when the father knows it's right, the gardener says, clip, cut that vine off. So if you're still here, you're not cut off. That means he's clipping you. He's clipping me. Then there's a season where, obviously from this statement, that you're going to bear fruit. Because, listen, he can't be clipping Sam today and expecting fruit tomorrow. God's not going to do that. He knows. Take some time. Clip on Sam a little bit. Now, now I'm going to leave Sam alone a little while. I'm going to let that, I'm going to let that sap, that, that Holy Spirit in Sam, it's going, it's going to seep up and it's going to go up. It's going to heal up over that cut. And then suddenly new leaf's going to come out. And then suddenly, not just looking pretty, thank God for that. Ain't that right, Sam? <laughs> There's some fruit going to come out there. There's some fruit going to come out where he, he trimming. That means that's what he's doing to you and I. He's trimming to produce some fruit. You've already been prepared to produce more fruit by the teaching I've given you. 
stay joined to me, and I'll stay joined to you. Let's, let's just do a little English grammar here today. Stay joined to me, and I will stay joined to you. What is he saying here? Who, who, who is the one who's controlling in this sentence that Jesus had stated? Stay joined to me, and I'll stay joined to you. Who has the control over that circumstance? You and I. Stay joined to me. I won't go anywhere. Choose to not stay joined to me, and I'm going to be right here. Stay joined to me. Stay joined to me. No branch can produce fruit alone. You ever, you ever been around a believer that seemed like they just kind of did it all on their own? I, I've, listen, I confess to you. Pastor Mark would confess this, I am sure. Sam would confess this, I am sure. Anybody that's ever taught a Bible study would confess this if they're honest. There have been times I've stood up to teach or preach, and I've done it in all of my own stuff. And y'all have probably known it. <laughs> Maybe not. I'm, I'm, I, somebody you would not know, totally would not know, so you're not, this is not somebody that would have anything to do with you. But I remember a pastor in my past that I knew that, that was eloquent. Man, he could just speak eloquent like you would. I mean, when he preached, it's just like the stars came down. He had a way of just drawing people in to the conversation. He could, he could just attract you and you would listen and you'd just kind of be on the, your seat, you know. And he could preach for 45 minutes or an hour and you'd just be like, man, whatever. I watched him one day getting ready for a service. He went up and sat down in a uh, little area and he sat down and I happened to be near him. I said, what are you doing? He said, ah, I hadn't really got anything ready for tonight. I better get something. It was like 20 minutes before the service. And he sat down and flipped through the Bible. Yeah, that's a work. He got up and he preached and it was the same thing. It was good. Man, it was good. He was, it was, he, he was eloquent. He was captivating. He was mesmerizing. But I'm not so sure he was filled with the Holy Spirit of God at that moment. Now, I'm not saying he wasn't. He could have very well been busy he could have well been not something he could have done. But my impression was, hey, I got this. I got this. Not too many years later, a lot of cracks started showing. Things started falling apart. And I often wondered back if he hadn't gotten comfortable and used to what he knew and what he could do. And don't say that as an accusation against him. What I say that is to the guys that stand up here, we need to be careful because it gets awful easy when things are busy to just want to throw something together because we can. No branch can produce fruit alone. It must stay connected to the vine. It is the same with you. You cannot produce fruit alone. You must stay joined to me. You think Jesus is kind of trying to tell us something here? I am the vine, you are the branches. If you stay joined to me and I to you, you will produce plenty of fruit. You will produce fruit. Let me just ask you. I'm not here to evaluate you today. Evaluate yourself. You're producing some fruit. 
If you're connected to Jesus, and Jesus is connected to you according to Jesus, you will produce plenty of fruit. Are you having to like look for little pieces? I wonder if, they, I wonder if there's some fruit there. If you don't stay joined to me, you'll be like a branch that's been thrown out and dried up. And all the dead branches like, like that are gathered up and thrown into the fire and burned. A lot of people talk about that being lost people or whatever, but Jesus is talking to his followers that are connected to him. And what he's saying is that your life will just be a waste and your works will be a waste and it'll just be burnt up and there'll be nothing to it. Stay connected to the Father. Last week, we saw what I guess we're calling the first fruit of the Spirit, but you do understand that the fruit is one fruit. There's not multiple fruits of the Spirit. There is a fruit of the Spirit, and it produces different things. I'm going to call them seeds. You ever open up a fruit and you see a whole bunch of little seeds inside of it? So, so the first seed that we saw produced last week was love. A love that God, a, a love like God loves, that it can only be produced by the fruit of the Spirit, as I said a moment ago. Today we're going to look at this second seed, this seed of joy. Joy. That, that inward birth. I love what this little book says. Listen, listen to this. Listen to this. This is, if you open up the little book and read it, if you get this, it has the definition of joy. It uh, tells you its, its meanings are cheerfulness, calm delight, gladness multiplied greatly to be exceedingly full of joy. Joy and just a little, oh, it's going to have a little joy. It's like joy. It's like Kathleen. It's joy. That's a good thing. That's a great thing. You know, I don't know about you today, but I know that in my life and in my, my world and the people that I know, diamonds are considered pretty valuable. I think most cultures consider a diamond to be valuable. And part of their worth is in the fact that they're they're hard to mine. You can't find them well. They're, now, they're really not that hard to find. They're hard to get to and uh, where they're put. And, and so they're considered a real rare commodity. I don't know if you know how diamonds are produced. I think probably most of you do. But a diamond is produced through intense heat and great pressure upon magma. Magma is that liquid substance that, that most of us call lava. Um, in fact, that's one of the things it's referred to as. Uh, and it resides at like 1,400 miles below the surface of the earth. In, in what the earth's mantle, that center part of the, the, the liquid part of the earth. The intense heat and pressure over long periods of time are the active ingredients that produce these really sought-after rocks called diamonds. Another reason they're valuable is that they can't be easily produced artificially. Because of the, the um, substance that's there, the lava, 
which has to be at this intense heat. Lava's molten rock. It's just liquid rock. And the intense pressure, the amount of pressure per square inch, and the length of time that it takes. You know, if you listen to the geologists and the scientists and the people that believe in evolution and all that kind of stuff, it's billions of years. Now, I don't know if it, honestly, and I'm not knocking because I'm not a scientist, but I don't know that the earth was around for billions of years. According to Scripture, it says it wasn't. Now, what it was like before it was formed, when it was without form and void, may have been the planet that we have here today looking the way it was, and God could have formed those over billions of years. God could have said, let there be diamonds, and there could have been diamonds because he did the same thing with light. I don't know, and I don't really care how long. I just know it took a long time and a lot of heat, and a lot of pressure. Anybody know what a cubic zirconia is? It's a fake diamond. And I'm going to tell you, if you ask any lady in this room, would you rather have a diamond or a cubic zirconia? It don't matter, unless you offer her one or the other. You stick one or the other out there, and she knows one of those is the value that it has. It's the genuine article. She's going to consider whether she wants that fake piece of glass or not. I guarantee you, she can sit over there and be all pious about it she wants to, but it's going to be like, let me see which one's which. Now, here's the thing. The problem is, and the reason she says that, the problem is, that unless you're an expert, they look so close to one another, you and I can't tell. And if all we're interested in is the pretty, then that's okay. Why am I telling this story about diamonds and cubic zirconias? Because I think the same thing could be said about genuine joy produced by the Holy Spirit and something artificial that's produced in the power of the flesh. You can put both of them out there, and some people won't know the difference. But you put them under the scrutiny of an expert, you put them under the tests that they use to prove a diamond, that cubic zirconia ain't got a chance. It will not stand up under the scrutiny and testing that a diamond will take. You're not going to go cut glass with a cubic zirconia, but you can cut glass with a diamond. Why? Because one's genuine and one's not. Many people today, I think many believers today, try to reproduce something that they think is joy they try to produce it through, through happiness. They try to be bubbly. I think, I think Kathleen probably feels sometimes a little overwhelmed because we pick at her about her, her, her bubbly nature and her joy that she has in her. But see, that's real joy. That's Part of that's her personality, but that's real joy. And I think sometimes people look at her and they think, well, that's just somebody putting on happiness because you don't see a whole lot of joy sometimes. But see, I've seen joy in some of y'all at times when 
you weren't happy. It's one of the differences. Joy is produced often the same way diamonds are produced. Intense heat and pressure. James chapter 1. James says, Consider it a great joy, my brothers, my sisters. Consider it a great joy whenever you experience various trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Church, consider it a great joy when you experience intense heat and intense pressure in your spiritual life. And your physical endurance is built up because your faith is being broadened. Endurance must do its complete work. Why? So that you'll be mature and complete, lacking nothing. God God cares so much about you that He's willing to let you go through a little bit of discomfort, put some pressure on you, let some heat come up in your life. Because He knows that the only way you're going to be the person that you need to be to be able to survive this life is if you have some endurance built up. And He cares so much about you that He wants to be you for you to be mature and complete, lacking nothing. So why are you going to choose the diamond over the cubic zirconia? Why are you going to choose joy over happiness? When I, I talk about this to people, I, I often use an example that I think helps here. I found this illustration is something we can kind of picture in our mind and make some sense to us. Happiness is is thermometer. You take a thermometer and you come in this room right here and you set that thermometer on the table for a little while and you let it sit and the surrounding environment is going to register on that thermometer. It's going to tell you it's about 74 degrees in here. It's about what it is in here, 74, 75, 73, depending on where it's sitting based on the air conditioning that's working in here. You carry it outside, and today it's probably not going to make it take a while because it's a rainy, dreary, 75-degree day outside. It's going to take a few minutes, but it will eventually change to the weather out there, the environment out there. If it was a normal 95-degree day, it wouldn't take long. Boy, you'd see that mercury start rising. If it was 20 degrees out there, you'd see that mercury start dropping. Why? Because it, it reacts to the, to the stimulus that it's placed in. That's what happiness does. Happiness re- reacts to the stimulus that it's in. It, it reacts to what's going on around it. It, it doesn't control anything. It just responds. Joy, on the other hand, is like a thermostat. You go back there to those two thermostats behind Scott. If I ask Scott to bump it up or bump it down, it's 74 in here, and I want it a little warmer. I just tell him, bump it up. He put that thing on 80, and in a little while, y'all start sweating because the environment's going to go. It's going to change. If I tell him, you know, Scott, I'm hot up here. I don't care if they're cold out there or not. Bump that thing down to 70. Suddenly, that environment's going to change. 
And it's going to move fairly quickly. Why? Because the controlling environment here, to control into the environment, is the thermostat, not the thermometer. A thermostat forces the environment that's under its influence to respond to it. That's joy. If you've got joy in your life, it forces the environment you're in to respond to that joy, regardless of what the circumstances are around you. See, happiness, which is one of the most, I think, sought-after emotional responses in the world today. Do you know anybody that's not talking about, oh, I want to be happy? In fact, with all that's been going on in our world in the last months, one of the things you hear is people just aren't happy. They're not happy. Why? Because their, their environment changed. See, happiness can't exist or at least has a really difficult time existing in sadness. Wouldn't it be weird to say I'm happy and I'm a sadness? Those are like opposites, aren't they? How can you be happy and sad? You say, well, you know, I, when I'm... When I'm contemplative, I'm happy. No, that's hogwash. When you're sad, you're sad. Happy doesn't exist. When, when, you're, when you're in fear, can you be happy? You ever met anybody that's fearfully happy? Just makes no sense, does it? Fear and happiness don't go together. They don't, they don't connect. How about confusion? I mean, have we, have we seen confusion lately? <laughs> Just look around. If things are not confusing, you don't know who to believe, you don't know what to believe, you don't know what's going on, you're not sure what, what the next week's going to hold. You're not really sure what last week held. <laughs> confusion. And what happens when confusion comes in, happiness moves out. People aren't happy because they're confused. What about hurt? You ever had anybody really hurt you? You ever been married? You ever had kids? <laughs> you ever had a job? I mean, you know, it, it doesn't take much. You ever been around anybody else? People hurt one another, don't they? When you get hurt by somebody, I'm talking about really genuinely hurt. It's hard to be happy, isn't it? But that's not the truth. That's not the, the fact when you're talking about joy. Listen, I've known people who were devastated by life's events. Hurt beyond words. I've watched Charles and Lola bury several children. I can't even imagine that. Even in saying that, I know that that stings them. But you know what I've watched? I've watched joy flow up in the midst of that. I've watched joy move them in their circumstances to something completely different. I, I, I talk to people all the time that are believers that, that are struggling in their marriage. There's some, some thing going on and it's just overwhelming them. And the difference that I see is those that don't know Christ 
their happiness wanes. Those that do know Christ may not be happy, but they have a confident, calm assurance that God is in control and that He still loves them and He has them in the palm of His hand, regardless of what's going on day to day in their relationships. I've watched people that sat across from doctors and fearfully were told, you're dying. Sam and I were talking about that the other day. You, you realize we're all dying? I mean, since the day we were born? But when a man or a woman sits across a desk from you and says, I have a diagnosis that says it's not going to be longer, it's going to be sooner, suddenly fear creeps up in a lot of people. What moves you past that as a believer? Joy. The joy that God has got me, that I am redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, that one day soon I'm going to stand in His presence forevermore in holiness and righteousness and purity, knowing God as He knows me. Yeah, take my life away. Now, I'm not going to go stand in the road, wait for a truck to hit me. But if the doctor said to me, tomorrow I'm dying, it might take a day or two for me to get my heart and head around that circumstance. But my spirit is set. My thermostat is set on joy. Joy. So how do we access this? How do we access this joy? This is the the key. And we're done. The key was back in Galatians 5.16. The key was at the very first part of what Paul was talking about. Live the way the Spirit leads you. I think the King James says, walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. That word walk in the New Testament talks about the the manner in which you conduct your life refers to how you orchestrate your life and set it up so that things will operate. What are you doing to walk in the Spirit? The, the, the obvious point that Paul's making for us today is that you choose how to set the things up in place that will affect how you live out your life. You choose that. Are you going to be in the Word this week? Are you going to be in the Word once this week? Are you going to be in the Word a bunch this week. You choose that, but that will dictate whether you're walking in the Spirit or walking in your flesh, in your, in your fleshly way of thinking. If you, your idea is that if you're talking about in the flesh, it's choosing to live under the control of that totally, completely depraved nature that was enslaved to selfishness that you want to act like doesn't live here anymore. But guess what? We heard in the very first part of this that it's still there. And it can control you, and it's fighting for control. So how do you live in joy? You kill that. And you walk in the preparation of the Spirit. Paul's clear. If you've been born again, 
And therefore, because of that, have received the Holy Spirit of God into your life. You no longer have to live that way. What, what concerns me are so many Christians I run into. So many people I talk to on a regular basis that are believers, that, that, that tell me that they're believers, that tell me that they've been born again by the Spirit of God. I, I, I'm Jesus's. He belongs to me. I belong to Him. And yet they say, but you know, I have this old nature in me and I just have to do that. I mean, I just, you know, it just drags me this way. Hogwash. That's contrary to Scripture. You're either one of two things. You're blind or you're a liar. Now, it may be that you're blind. It may be that you haven't realized this. It may be that you're here today and you've never heard anybody tell you, you don't have to live that way. You're not required to live that way any longer. You've been set free. Slavery is not your, your bag anymore. You, you've been set free to walk in Christ. You can choose not to. You know what the truth of the matter is? So many people I know. So many believers I listen to, so many believers I talk to, they know that. So many times in my own life, let me don't throw rocks at anybody else. So many times in my own life, I know that. And I choose to walk over here. Why? Because I'm selfish and I have a selfish nature that still exists. And I want to do what Steve wants to do. I like my sin nature because it's pleasurable at times. Now, there's a cost. Oh, there's a cost. If you choose to follow the path of the old nature, you will fulfill the behavior listed in those negative things we talked about. You just go back and look at your life and read that list and be honest with yourself and don't see if you hadn't found some of that. You say, well, I, I ain't been in a drunken, you know, stupor and carrying on like that. No, but read some of that other stuff about anger and envy, about causing problems. Read, read some of those other things. Don't focus on the stuff that you've gotten better at. You know what the sad part about that whole thing is? Responsibility is totally on your shoulders. The power to walk away is at your disposal. Therefore, to do anything else is sin. In your life and in mine. So why am I being so tough here today? Because I believe that many of us really want to live with godly joy dictating our lives. But we're not doing the things that are necessary. We've taken sin and said it's not that big of a deal. God's forgiven me. He'll forgive me again. That's true. That's God's nature. But you better be sure that you've been forgiven. You better be sure that your heart has been repentant. Because when you repent, you change your behavior. When you just don't want to get a whipping, you scream, Daddy, I won't do it again. At least that's my experience. So today, let me ask you a question. Do you really want to 
reap the harvest of a sinful life? If so, keep following sinful behavior. Because God is clear. What a man or a woman sows into his life, they will harvest in their life. If you're choosing to follow sin today, I encourage you to repent. Confess and turn. Today, if you're in that good spot and you're living by the power of the Holy Spirit and you're experiencing victory today, you thank God because I promise you it's not you. It's God in you that's producing the work and you're just being surrendered. Keep a watchful eye so that you don't slip back into those old habits. But if you find an area in your life that joy's not busting through, won't you order your life around the Lord? Surrender to His leading, follow Him. If you want joy, it's there. It's there, and it beats happiness all day long. Because no matter what comes in your life tomorrow, joy is a thermostat that can keep you set and steady in the storm.